0: Welcome to On Strategy Showcase. This is Fergus in Chicago. You can follow me on LinkedIn or on Twitter. And as always, you can hear the episodes and see the creative work all on our website, onstrategyshowcase.com, or you can listen to the shows wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, before we start today, I want to announce a new venture that's uh, called On Strategy Freelance. We have Thousands of strategists and planners listening to the show from all around the world. Uh, Most are employed full-time and many of them even freelance on the side. And yet there's just, uh, you know, there's many others who are full-time freelancers. And I often get agencies and clients uh, calling and asking if I know of anyone with experience in one category or another. And I've posted a few of those opportunities recently, uh, but I've decided to formalize it for all of us. And um, and what I'm thinking is that starting now, uh, client-side and agency-side freelancers can register on our website at onstrategyshowcase.com by selecting the Freelance tab on the homepage. Now, I I expect most of these will be fully remote uh, opportunities so you can be located anywhere in the world. To start out with... Because we're going to try this and we'll, we, we may adjust it as we go through this. But uh, to start out with, the alerts will be valid for 24 hours and just 10 candidates will be forwarded to the agency or client. So you've got to react pretty quickly if you receive an alert or you see an alert. So for more details on this, uh, go to our website on strategyshowcase.com under the freelance tab on the homepage and you can get registered uh, today. We'll see how it goes. I think it could be very cool for everybody. And if we, need, if we need to adjust it, we can do that as we go forward. So back to today's show, I talk with Selma Ahmed, creative director and David Mortimer, planning director at Adam and Eve DDB in London about their latest effort with Channel 4 and FIFA. Channel 4 is a television national TV network in the UK. Now this year Adam and Eve won the Channel Four Diversity and Advertising Award. At Channel Four TV, what they do is they donate a large chunk of airtime for free to a winning campaign, which gives it the opportunity to get, you know, to get pretty amazing and uh, national presence and awareness and the purpose of the award is to better ensure that diversity is reflected in mainstream advertising i think channel 4 has been doing this for maybe 4 or 5 years and each year there's a different uh, theme uh, that different agencies pitch their kind of client-based ideas off of. At this year, the agency won with their client, that's Adam and Eve won with their client, FIFA, after uncovering some sort of diversity and inclusion stats about the low levels of representation of British Asian Muslims in UK professional soccer. So the campaign also shows, and this is the thing I found most striking about it, how diversity and inclusion initiatives don't have to be overtly preachy. They don't have to be overtly virtue signaling, you know, but can be sort of very engaging and surprising in ways that make us check our stereotypes and biases more effectively. And I think this is a campaign that does a terrific job on that. So this is Selma and David. They share the story behind the Midnight Ramadan League. Enjoy you know, we generally don't, we generally don't do uh, shows around single spots. So this is sort of an unusual situation, but I was really struck by it for a number of reasons. Um, Most of the way through the spot, I wasn't even sure what I was watching. And uh, the way it was, the way it played out, it just worked perfectly well with dealing with stereotypes, with dealing with racial equality Um, and i I just i was just sort of totally drawn to it and and reached out to you guys to see if we could do a show about it so it's 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 um it's i'll let you maybe selma maybe i could start with you to explain what um what channel four is doing and why and where this sort of fits together in terms of what this spot ultimately became can i start with you on that
1: yeah of course of course so Every year, Channel 4 do a diversity and advertising award where they kind of offer up to agencies and brands to pitch to win a million, t- um, a million pounds worth of free media. And it's all kind of the, the the brief isn't, you know, tick a box and do something for, you know, representation or diversity. It's really about doing a piece of brand, a brand ad, a brand piece of communication that is an advert and is in service of the brand, but at the same time deals with an issue or... know about something that's not represented on the main screen um and so i think last year it was um for lgbtq plus and this year it was for bame um kind of a community which they're not no longer referring to it as that but yeah so for us it was you know we enter every year as an agency and this year we kind of found that there was something really special we could do here with fifa because for us, I think David can talk to this as well, but it was so important not to fall into the cliche of BAME as a kind of blanket term and really kind of dig deep and find an insight that gives us an opportunity to do something really special here for not only to win the prize with Channel 4 and obviously win that amazing um, kind of media airtime, but also to to do something for the brand and that will really make a difference when people see it kind of on TV and out in the real world. So this was our submission and. I can talk a little bit about the submission in case anyone doesn't really know about it, but we worked with FIFA and David, especially in the early stages, found this incredible insight, which I think he can talk more to, um, about the lack of representation and lack of British Asian role models in football and kind of being a big barrier as to why they don't make it to be professional. And we kind of were briefed, and me and my creative partner, Genevieve, we came up with this idea of taking a real grassroots team from the UK and and doing something amazing by putting them on a global scale, like FIFA.
0: So this is something that Channel Four does. It's not about non. It's not for not for profits. This is obviously they're approaching brands, established brands who already have established budgets. So why do you think Channel Four approaches brands versus providing opportunities for non-profits?
2: I, I think it, in a way, it's to make the impact of what they do even bigger. So I, I think. You know, you could easily answer this sort of of brief with something that is not going to do anything necessarily for your brand or for the business, but is almost a a charitable thing. Or or you could have a kind of a not-for-profit approach. But I think it would then be hard for other brands looking on to think, well, we could do that as well because, you know, they wouldn't have the budgets, they wouldn't have the money to do that. So I think what's what's really important about this competition is that you you know you can't just prove that you're making a cultural impact. you have to prove that you are spending your your ad money wisely, basically, that, that this is going to do something for your brand. And so I think that really helps to then kind of not just you know the impact doesn't stop at the winner of the competition. It hopefully inspires other people to to say, we can do what we need to do as a brand. But we can also be much more representative. We can also kind of make what we do more diverse and more inclusive while still hitting what we need to do. And actually, you know, hopefully, as as with, you know, I hope the case of this ad, kind of actually getting more impact and making what we do more impactful through kind of better representation. And, and so that's
0: the that's the that's the heart of it, that this is about ensuring in national advertising that there is representation across uh, all ethnicities, lifestyles, people, etc. That's really at the heart of what this is, is to drive into culture the exception and the normalization of representation. Is that fair to say?
2: Yeah, that's exactly it. And and interestingly, I I think one of the um, really interesting things, so alongside the competition, they had also kind of conducted a lot of research. And I think one of the things that really inspired what we created in the end was, was part of their research talked about something called the, the montage effect. So when when they spoke to people from kind of the, these communities about how they feel represented or, or not in many cases, one of the issues that came up was, you know, often when they are represented, they are part of a montage, you know, and brands trying to do the right thing and trying to kick that box by saying, let's put as many different cultures as we can in our advertising.
0: So it's like tokenism.
2: Yeah, but it's almost multiple tokenism in terms of you end up with, um, to create that montage, you need everyone doing the same thing, which is usually quite a kind of white middle-class activity. And then, you know, because everyone's only on screen for a second, they're basically defined by how they look, and often, then a few stereotypes to help you recognize that they're from a different, or a you know a, a minority culture, and yeah. and ultimately that ends up creating a very surface level diversity, um, which you know it still has its role for certain brands in certain times. But if everyone in the industry does that, then you never get those deeper, true, authentic stories from these cultures and from these uh, groups. And so I think our intention was very much kind of, yes, the overall competition is about kind of diversity and that breadth of diversity, but our solution to it should actually be very focused. And we wanted to do diversity as, as, a, as a depth and an authenticity and, and the richness of an individual story rather than trying to kind of pack it with as much diversity as, as we could in terms of breadth.
0: Why FIFA? Was that your choice? to select FIFA as a client that you thought because you thought you might have a a connection that made more sense than if it had been for some other client
2: yeah
1: i'm i think it felt right to we do a lot of work with FIFA and around kind of impacting culture and we've seen them as a brand they're so active and reactive to things that happen in culture they're always the kind of the first people first brands to do something in real life and respond to what's happening in the real world because they understand how much it impacts the game. And I think when when this kind of insight of the lack of representation of British Asian footballers came to the top, I think everybody just felt really right to go with a brand like FIFA because they are kind of right at the heart of the story and they are the people that can really impact it from within.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, when you look at soccer in terms of its global nature, it, I mean, certainly it, it seems that that would be, it makes sense, for the brand to be involved in and, and to be assuring this representation particularly in advertising because it's a it's a global sport
1: yeah, and, and when you look at kind of the kind of people that play FIFA, it's all around the world. It's people from all different countries, communities, different ages, different types of people. And it's yeah. such an incredible community that love FIFA and they thrive. They, they connect through the game. People that don't know each other from all over the world become friends and they build built their own community. So it felt really wonderful to kind of take a real community that are doing it in the real world and put them in the game and, and in that way kind of connect it and show the power of of, of gaming.
0: So can you tell me, can you talk to sort of what the experience is for sort of everyday British Asian citizens living in the UK? What What is that experience like for them?
1: Yeah, I'm, I mean, it's, that's a very um, loaded question. You could probably talk about it for hours. But I do think there is, for me personally, my own experience, I find the way not just British Asians, but Muslims are portrayed on the screen, really, really problematic. It always feels like a cliche. And as David said, it always feels like you only ever see one side of a very complex and and interesting community. And there are so many ways to be Muslim and there are so many ways to be Asian in, in Britain. And so everyone has a different lived experience. And I think for us, it was so important not to try and create the perfect amalgamation of what it is to be British Asian or what it is to be Muslim. But for us, it was... You know, let's just take one very real story and bring that to life in the most authentic and real way possible, and not try to project our own experiences onto it. For example, because I mean, I, I personally am not someone that loves football, but I know my family, my cousins, my dad, everyone loves football; they love it. So I was able to bring some insight in that respect, but not in terms of being someone that loves football. So for us, it was it, it's a real balancing act. And and just to come back to your original question, I think there's a lot of work that needs to be done in understanding. Muslims in the UK and understanding how prevalent Islamophobia is in the UK and all, all over the world, and making sure that the narrative is not always the way it's portrayed on the news or on you know soap operas and, and places where people feel like they can do the token Muslim thing, and suddenly that the only kind of there's only two sides of the story. And for us, we want to show a more complex and deeper, deeper representation.
2: Anything you'd add to that, David? I think what was interesting through just I guess, the research we did into the, the issues was, when you bring that experience into the football world, um, as someone mentioned, you, you had this issue of the 0.25% of professional footballers in, in the UK are British Asian. Um, and I think as, as a general population, they're about 7% of, of the population. So it became interesting that you start to see the impact of, of some of this lack of kind of normalisation and, and some of the prejudice around it having a, an impact on literally kind of people's professions and, and where they can, can get to at the top of the game. And and when we dug into that, we, we found that, um, you know, it wasn't a lack of interest in football. Again, you may assume, and I think a lot of the assumptions were that, well, this is a community that don't care about football. But actually... What we found out in the data is they're more likely than kind of the average person in the UK to play football in kind of a recreational way. So like around the the pitches, the parks of the UK, they make up about 10% of the people playing football. And that's the same of of playing FIFA as well. They're about 10% of, of UK players. So there wasn't a lack of passion, but something was stopping them from making that leap to the professional game.
0: Selma, for you, when you are having conversations with David, what sort of bubbles up to the top for you that you sort of cling on to when you are developing ideas? That's something, that one thing he said, or something he talked to you about, really sort of resonate.
1: Yeah, I, I think honestly, it's it's the piece around role models and the fact that you know, if you can't see something, you can't it so they always say you know see it to be it you have to have the representation you need to see things in order to aspire to be them and i remember having conversations with david early on and and when this stat came to the forefront of the 0.25 percent it was so shocking and actually it was something so so none of us had realized or no one had picked up on and it. it felt like this is the perfect way to change this is to create a new set of role models and, and actually create that cycle of influence. So when you see, you know, you'll see the little girl in the, in the TV spot and you see her and she aspires to be like her older brother who aspires to be like Hamza childry the famous footballer. And then you have that cycle of influence. And, And for me, the one, the one piece out of the brief that really struck was, you know, how can we create a new set of role models and, and create a, and create a way for people to see something in order to then aspire to be it.
0: Is the way to think about this representation, is it Muslim representation or is it British Asian representation? How how do you think about it?
1: Well, with this particular, I think the brief in in particular was for British Asians. I think the team that we landed on and then chose to highlight was a Muslim team and they were all Muslim that play in the team. So there was probably, there were a few other um, kind of football groups that we could have picked up on that weren't Muslim, but were British Asian. I think because we, we chose this team, then the story did become about the fact that this team embraced their culture and embraced their religion. And it doesn't stand in their way of going and playing the game. I think that's what we loved about the team is that it's not like they're Muslims at home and then they go to the, go and play football and, and they leave everything behind. It's like everything about them and the identity and the complexities of that, they take to the field and that's what made them feel, them for like an amazing story to tell because there is that intersectionality of being british asian being muslim being young you know young men in in london and having something to do in those early hours of the evening and and the sense of community spirit so when it all came together it just felt like the story was um, mainly about them being muslim and using that to inspire to kind of fuel the game but also the fact that they are british asian
2: i think that's actually one of the interesting things that we almost had to keep reminding ourselves and, and that ambition to to be specific, to be kind of to bring out that rich depth. And and kind of, you know, we actually once we got to British Asian, we then actually uh specified to British South Asian because actually there's a lot of differences within those communities. And then we added on kind of the layer of of Muslim from the uh Ramadan League. And actually I think you know that's sometimes quite nervous is you know are we representing enough people and I think we almost had to keep reminding ourselves it's okay to be specific it's okay to tell a very unique story about genuine people because you know the overall ambition of the love of football of how it feels to score a goal of wanting to emulate you know the greats that's universal and it's okay to tell quite a specific um, but very rich story about about you know a, a much smaller group than perhaps we'd usually be comfortable with
0: Tell us how you became aware of the Midnight Ramadan League.
2: Um, so it, it's actually a, a group that we had briefly come across in, in previous FIFA campaigns, but we couldn't quite work out, you know, how to incorporate them into anything. And they've been making kind of local headlines, I think, in in local papers, uh, kind of um in, in their kind of native Birmingham. Um and we have kind of come across them, but we didn't quite know how their story could, could intersect with, with kind of the, um, the campaigns that, that FIFA was creating at the time around kind of their launch campaigns and that kind of stuff. And um, when we got this brief and started to build it out, I think, you know, we were casting our net wide for, for the sorts of stories we want to tell. And there's a huge amount of research because there are so few british asians in football particularly at the top of the game where they're making headlines it was a lot of trawling you know through local papers finding these local stories that that hadn't been represented that hadn't been kind of blown up in national or international media um and you know we had all sorts from you know the first british asian female wineswoman uh to kind of people in esports to people who are doing commentating and that kind of stuff and we tried to cast that net wide for, for as many stories as we can. I think that was one of the things Jen and Selma really pushed on was, you know, let's try and find as many of these examples as we can so we end up with one that is, is as powerful as it can be. But in the end, I think, you know, that story felt like the one that, that felt, I, I guess, the, the most interesting to the most people.
0: So Selma, what made it the right story out of all of the different stories for you?
1: I think it was. It, I think it was about the fact that they were so proudly and unashamedly celebrating their religion and culture in a country which is so problematic and has so many negative stereotypes around being Muslim. And you know, as a young Muslim man, if your name is Muhammad, like I, I think you know any kind of brown name, you find yourself being always always stereotyped into being a certain type of way and especially with the narrative on the news so i think for us it was like wow not only can we do an incredible story about football and community but also we can really celebrate a religion and you know showcase a new narrative on something which so so many people have preconceived notions on and i think it was all of those things coming together and the fact that this is a real team that genuinely do it for the love of the game that felt so right for not only the brief but also the brand and and we thought there's something so amazing about the heart that they put into this and the community spirit they share, but that they're also united by their love of faith. So for us, it was all of those things. And also really primarily the chance to create a new narrative around being a young Muslim in
0: in the UK. When you bring the idea to FIFA, um, so many times these topics can have, you know, unknown consequences, unexpected reactions in culture that you just can't control and and sometimes that's for the good in the long term sometimes it's not but i'm curious were there things that you felt you needed to navigate around not touch on were there things that fifa was concerned about touching on that were sort of seen as the third rail uh, far too risky to touch on Uh, or, or was that not a factor at all in the way you were thinking
1: you know i think the most beautiful thing about this is that that wasn't a factor we had very little conversations about what we can and can't show and FIFA were an incredible partner in this and, and our two clients that were also young Muslim women so they also came with their own understanding of the culture and and they kind of worked really closely with us and it was never a case of, of you know we shouldn't go there it was like how can we do this in the most real and authentic way and actually there were you know conversations around you know, keeping making sure that we showed prayer. So if that was one thing that was really important to me, that was one thing that was really important to the clients. It was like, let's make sure that we show the prayer because that is such a fundamental moment in the story, which he prays at home and then he goes and plays. That really like shows in a very quick read that he's Muslim and that he's and you know he's dedicated to his faith. So when when that conversation happened, it was, yeah, of course, of course we go pray A lot of was genuinely support. we weren't pushing back on things. I loved it because I thought, yeah, let's just go all out and i think one of the most reward like rewarding things i guess about it being for channel four is that there was a bigger purpose and it wasn't just necessarily about the brand or about the agency's ambition it was for good it was you know going to have such an incredible reach so i think everybody had the same shared purpose from the very beginning going into it and that really helped so make the very start of, of the story that we wanted to tell
2: anything you'd add to that david you know when I first saw the thirty second ad and and it opens on on the press scene and I think you just get that sense of this is so different to anything else you're going to see in in the ad break and anything else that is on you know in any ad break right now that i I think that the impact of that bravery and and that determination to do it right i think just makes it so impactful when I first saw the
0: spot, I have to admit that i was i was my sense was that this was a spot that was about even, if not equal parts, diversity and equality, even more about equality. I was struck by the 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 girl who plays the sister of the main character. And as she waits for her brother to come home, that was like a magical moment when I watched that spot and yeah. it, uh, so for you in, in developing it was it was it equal parts diversity and equality or, or how did that how did that character end up in the spot the the younger sister
1: well she was she was in it from the very original from the original sorry the very original um script because we kind of had a conversation before we began writing the script or coming up with the idea for this which was like how do we make sure it really did strike us that this was going to be a spot all about men and so we were like no, you know, we need to really, and I think we pushed David as well, like who can we include in this that is a woman? How can we make sure that we have equal representation? And then we realised, you know, from speaking to the founder of the Midnight Ramadan League, he was like, I was going to start a female league, um, but then COVID happened, so I wasn't able to. So if you were to include a woman in our team, it just wouldn't be real. It's just not how we do things at the moment. And then it was a real balance of, do we go with what's real, what the real story is, or do we just put some women in there and make it feel like, you know, an, an equality thing? So for us, we really had to think about that before we wrote the script. And then then we were like, let's just do it exactly how they do it. But there was something so important about there being that cycle of influence um, and the role model piece, which is like, we need to make sure that what he's going out and doing is inspirational for someone else. And then we just thought it would be a really beautiful addition to have that be a little girl. And I think, you know, there's always, ever since, you know, back in the day, Brenda like Beckham, there's always been like this thing of like girls don't play football, especially yeah. young brown girls. So they never felt forced. It was very organic to the story from the very beginning. And once we wrote her in, into the story, it almost felt like you couldn't do it without her. And she she not only brings that sense of role model and, you know, looking up to the next generation, but she also, she, she just feels like a symbol of hope in the script for us. And she is, she's the next generation that you want to then go on and be like, she'll be that person in five, six years.
0: And it also feels, and I don't know the degree to which this was which was by design or just by coincidence, or or maybe this is just part of sort of this idea of, of stereotypes, but for the first 20 seconds or, or so of the spot, you don't know who this guy is. You don't know what his intent is. He is, you know, he's leaving uh, late at night on a bike with a hoodie on. And so there's a lot of sort of imagery that sort of, uh, sort of creates this sort of sense of drama, and not of a sense of what is actually happening. Was that deliberate, yeah. or is that by design? By design, or just not by coincidence?
1: Um, I think it was by design. I think we wanted for there to be a sense of intrigue and build, and I think we yeah. we really wanted to we we wanted to create that tone at the beginning, which felt different to anything you'd ever seen, and also for there to be a moment where, when you reveal what he's doing, it's like it does make you think as a viewer, why was I thinking anything else? And I think that was quite deliberate for us. And and it is, it is that moment. It's really sad, but everyone does think, where is he going? He must be off off to, you know, up to some trouble. And it's like, no, actually. And I love that moment, which is like, no, check yourself. Like, this is not what you thought it was going to be, which is why we felt it was so important if we were going to do that, to then have that really amazingly warm, family environment at the beginning, which is just full of so much love and energy and joy, the family, the community. And you get that real sense that when he leaves, you do think, why are you leaving this, you know? What is it um, that you're leaving? And we did it, had a lot of conversations with that director as well about tone and getting that right. So it doesn't feel ominous, but it feels interesting. And that was a real cre- like creative production challenge of making it not feel very sinister, but at the same time being able to bring that drama to it.
0: For those who are not familiar, let's just, Let's just talk a little bit about uh, so it's Ramadan. It's the holy month of Ramadan. During this period of time, which is usually like April, May of each year, I think. Yeah, um, it,
1: it goes. Yeah, it goes back every year, ten days. But yes, Ramadan.
0: so there's fasting during the day, and then there is late prayers at night. And so, what's what the what the Midnight Ramadan League is? It's that for those who are passionate about soccer, who are who are um, who are uh, praying and observing Ramadan there is the game that happens at midnight because I think late prayers end around 10 or 11 p.m. Is that fair to say?
1: Yeah, exactly. So during the day they're fasting that you're not having any food or water. So if you really love football, then obviously you're not gonna be playing to your best ability with that. So what it is is in when you break your fast in the evening and then you say your prayers, there's a time between breaking that fast and then starting your next fast in the morning at sunrise, which is kind of you either go to sleep or or you know, you know you pray whatever you wanna do in that time. And so these boys, what they do is they kind of use that time to go out and play football. Once they've had some food, once they've had some water, they go out there, they get together, they spend that time just before the next fast playing football. They do it every Thursday and Friday. So obviously they all have jobs as well. So during the, it's not every single night of the month, but they do it on Thursdays and Fridays. And then they get home in time for the morning um, morning prayers and then they begin their fast again.
0: So I don't know how, I'm going to drop the spot into, into the... Um into the actual um, uh, onto the website and i'll probably drop it into the audio too so but i want people to generally understand the flow of it so may, maybe uh selma you could just sort of describe the spot and yeah. how it progresses please
1: yeah so we open in a, in a in a family home and we see a young a young guy and he's playing with his little sister and she's playing football but he looks quite tired and then you know, you get the sense that she really wants to play football with him, and then he gets called downstairs, and we realize that you know the call to prayer has happened, which means that their fast is broken. So, the whole family get together, they're eating food, they're breaking their fast, and then you see them praying. And then once they pray, you see this young guy um, whose name is Kaiser. You see him leaving, and when he leaves the house, you see his little sister, and she looks at him like, "Where are you going?" And and he, you have no idea where he's going. And then he cycles, and he cycles through the streets of Birmingham, and then he finally gets to the field and you're still a bit like, what's going on? And then you see that he's surrounded by, you know, 15, 20 other boys and they're all playing football together. And then you get caught up in the game and then there's a moment where he is tackled and he falls to the floor and he looks up and he sees Hamza Chaudhry, who is a British Asian um, professional football player, player, one of very few, and he sees him and and he's kind of inspired by him. And then Hamza says, if I can do it, so can you. And then you see Hamza go and score the goal. And then when you come back out of it, it's almost like he had this dreamlike experience where he's been inspired by someone who's already gone and made it. And then you see him celebrating with his team. And then you kind of, he he notices the time and then he cycles back and he gets home just in time to play a little game of football with his sister, who's been waiting up for him before they go in to start their next fast.
0: Yeah. So she's waiting up and she's in the in the alleyway beside their house or in their backyard area. And it's like 2.30 in the morning.
1: Yeah, it's two thirty in the morning and she's got a jersey on and, and she's been waiting for him to come back and play with her because she also loves football and she's inspired by his love of football. Stop being lazy. No man, I'm tired.
2: All right, <laughs> man, all right. <laughs> I mean I got to go. We'll play together when I come back, all right?
1: Yes, well,
2: the okay, going, 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 I'm the Chaudhry. If I can do this, so can you. the shot! It really is
0: a trap. It's of nature.
2: Come on, play the
0: plate, yeah?
2: Sure. On, stand for 7 let's go.
0: David, what's been the reaction to the spot? And was the, was, the, was the spot pre tested or did it just go straight to error?
2: Uh, no, no, no pre testing. Um, I, I mean, I think the reaction has been incredible. And I think that's one of those things from, you know, you can do as much research as you want into under representation and you can kind of find the things that and see things that you think will have an impact. But I guess it's still amazing to see how powerful it is for people to see themselves represented in a way that they've never seen before. And I think that's what, you know, I've seen the research, I know that 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 is likely to happen, but I don't think you quite really grasp just how powerful that is for a lot of people who feel either underrepresented or, you know, often misrepresented, as, as Selma was talking about earlier.
1: If there's a, a real, real something to be said about, like, why we made the spot and who it was for. And even though it's it's had an incredible reaction with with the muslim community in britain and globally i think it's also had an incredible impact like you're saying kind of about people that aren't muslim who don't understand what ramadan is who also feel they have an emotional takeout from it and the reason i think that is is because it's a real human story and it was crafted as such it wasn't kind of designed intentionally to explain what it is to be a muslim or explain what it is to fast like we were quite intentional in not making an education piece and actually just making it about a real human story that people, no matter who you are, can relate to. There's a there's a sister, there's a family, there's, there's a community, there is a brotherhood, there is a love of something and and all of that passion, all of that stuff. And I think that's the real, the real takeout. And the real surprise for me has been how people who aren't Muslim have reacted so well to it and have connected with it and resonated with it emotionally.
0: What has been the unexpected reaction. I mean, when you talk about people being able to see themselves, what does that mean to people that you've talked to? And then I'd love Selma to answer that also.
2: I think that that brighter impact and and that may be something that you know we may not see for a little while yet, but um it's certainly something that that, that we're trying to track along with channel four. And when we were looking into the this kind of vicious cycle of the lack of role models, you saw the 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 impact of that was you know people not aspiring to to play football as a career families not supporting their kids to to develop in football because they think there's no future for them in it and even things like professional scouts and and coaches ignoring British Asian talent because you know they have a view of what a professional footballer looks like and if it doesn't look like you then it doesn't matter how good you are they don't see a place for you on their team. I remember a while ago reading about when um, Liverpool signed uh, Mo Salah, and he was, you know, knocking in goals all over the place. Um, and uh, I think instances of Islamophobia dropped in the city of Liverpool um, because people saw a Muslim who was in love with the game, and you know, playing for the club that they loved, and, and just that normalisation. Um, has an almost instant impact in terms of just how people, you know, suddenly it's not something alien. Suddenly it is something that, you know, they're, they're just people who have the same, lo- you know, loves that you do and, and love football and, and you know, their family and, and that kind of stuff. So um, I think that's part of what we're still trying to track at this stage and, and I think we'll continue to do is is how that initial impact from the broader British public hopefully then turns into... Um, you know, we, we create a positive cycle rather than a negative one.
0: It'll be interesting to see how the, how the, um, I don't know what the term is in the UK for like the soccer federation. So we've got FIFA involved in this. Uh, we've got uh, Channel 4 involved with this. Has there been any sort of response or has there been any sort of um, reaction from like the Premier League or the leagues themselves about about this issue of diversity and representation?
2: I mean, I think one of the, the great things in and when we were producing it is you know we, we leaned on some of uh you know fifa's uh kind of, or ea's uh contacts to to make sure that we were building something almost alongside them so you know we spoke to representatives from uh the premier league we spoke to representatives from kick it out who are kind of the um anti-racism uh kind of charity kind of for professional football um, And we got their views and we got their issues and and we were able to, you know, kind of incorporate their experiences into it. And I think, you know, behind the scenes of the advert, there's also a lot of work that um, EA are doing alongside those partners to try and create some kind of, you know, long term grassroots um, impact within it as well. It's really great. And I think that I'm, I'm,
0: I think I saw a spot a day or two ago that Nike just released about uh, young Asian girls. It was, I think it was done out of the Wyden and Kennedy um, uh, Tokyo office, but a brilliant spot also that was about, about representation and about recognizing that passion doesn't come in one package.
1: Brands have such a power to change the narrative. in such an incredible way which I think sometimes we forget the responsibility we have within the industry because it can get very like you know let's all pat ourselves on the back and celebrate the awards and like you know there's a lot of like within the industry about was this a good ad and and kind of the way we market and the way we measure its impact but I think we have to remember even at briefing stage like there is so much power brands have and the space that they hold in people's lives physically and also, you know, via social media, on the internet, any kind of place that you see a brand, you have an opportunity to deliver a message. And and making something that felt felt so intrinsic to the brand and so true about them and who they are as a brand, but then also making it about a real human story and a community and a culture that is so often misrepresented. I feel like that those three things coming together just made it made me me realize, and I hope other brands realize, that you can really make a change and impact for the good and you can do something incredible without compromising your brand or without compromising, you know, sales and all of that stuff that also really matters to brands.
0: So David, my last question would be around uh, where this could go. I've seen, I've seen the spot, the piece of film. Uh, are there other components as a part of it to make it a broader campaign or is that planned or has that already happened? Uh,
2: so yes, yeah, so that was always kind of, a, a part of it, and and I think you know when we went into to the pitch to Channel Four, I mean, whether it was a smart thing to do or not, I don't know. But we basically <laughs> said we're going to do this anyway, and you know what your award will give us is a bigger platform to create these role models. But you know, and ourselves and EA had already kind of signed up to this is the right thing to do, and we want to create this this platform. We want to showcase kind of this next generation of of British Asian role models. So. Um, alongside that spot, there's also the things that kind of we, we wanted to create around that. So, um, again, where do you see big role models that inspire you out of home? So we wanted to create kind of out of home with uh, with hands of childry, with the uh, Midnight Ramadan League and, and kind of, you know, again, give them that status that is often not, not given to uh, British Asian uh, role models. Um, there's also, uh, so Hans also wrote a children's book about his uh, kind of rise in the game, um, which has been, uh, you know, given to schools and that kind of stuff. And again, will hopefully inspire uh, with, with that same sense of, of role models and, and kind of give the specifics of his story and hopefully paint, you know, for people from a similar background, how he did break that that barrier that is seemingly impossible for many British Asians to to um break it into the top of the game. Um, and I think the other important thing that you know we we're really keen was to to get their story into FIFA the game. Um, and so, you know, at the same time as, as the ad ran, um, there was there were challenges that you could complete in FIFA, which would unlock um, all sorts of midnight Ramadan League mm-hmm. themed um, items. So you can play in the kit that is in the ad. Um, you can have your stadium all dressed up with kind of the um, the decoration, the theme of the Midnight Ramadan League. Um, and I think that was, you know, just, again, such a brilliant thing that th- these kind of, these guys from Birmingham who set up a thing because they love football so much, yeah, um, right? to be in, in the world's kind of biggest football game for the world's biggest sport and have this international recognition where, you know, someone in Brazil can be, playing as them in their kits. I think that was just um a brilliant thing that that we could do to just again give that platform an an even bigger audience.
0: If folks want to see the creative, they can go to go to our website on strategyshowcase.com. We'll put the uh the spot up there and we'll try and gather as many of the other elements that that David talked about and we'll post it up there too. Dave, thank you both. This was great. David, uh a pleasure again to have you on the show. David is the planning director at Adam and Eve DDB, Selma Ahmed, creative director, Adam and Eve DDB. Great to have you on at Selma, could you- Thank you. Could you give your creative partner, uh, could you mention her name again? I think it got cut out earlier.
1: Yes, um, Genevieve Gransden. <laughs>
0: great. So congratulations to you both and to all of you. It was a, it was a great spot, a great campaign. I'm, I'm really excited to hear that it goes beyond the spot. So I'm excited to see that work too. Uh, thanks for your time today, guys.
1: Thanks so much for having us. It's been a pleasure. Yeah,
0: thanks. All right, and we'll see everybody in the next episode.